0: Invite you this morning to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. We're continuing a sermon series entitled, Real Issues, Real Answers. We're trying to tackle some things that are big issues, but have everyday effects in our lives. And so, encourage you as we go throughout the week to participate in the series by submitting questions and making comments. Those directions are in your bulletin this morning. We'll try to answer those questions as we go throughout the message. Matthew chapter 18 And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word this morning. We acknowledge that this is a tough word. This is a difficult implementation and application word. We recognize that as well as we study the issue of forgiveness, that there's many hurts among us in different ways. We pray this morning that you, God, would bring renewal and peace to people's lives. And we pray that you'd also give us the ability to go out and spread that peace as well. We submit to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the fastest way to drain windshield washer fluid from your car. Fastest way to drain windshield washer fluid from your car. You should know by now. This is participatory. (laughs) Use it all the time. Yeah, that's a good method. How about putting a hole in the tank? If you want to drain the fluid, just put a hole in the tank and it's draining not only when you use it, but it's also draining in off time guess what? This is a time of year when it's really nice to have windshield washer fluid in your car. And so taking the route that says maybe I can get a little cheaper buy coming this summer of fixing the washer fluid tank isn't always a good method because what's happening? It's still draining out and then when you need it, it's not there. Go home and try it. If you want to drain windshield washer fluid, just put a hole in the tank. Well, this morning we're not going to talk about windshield washer fluid all morning. But if you want to drain your life of joy and peace, what's the quickest way to do that? If you want to drain your life of joy and peace, what's the quickest way to do that? Enter into conflict with someone who's close to you. Get wronged by someone who you know. Get wronged by anyone. All of a sudden, what happens? What happens? It begins to eat you up. It begins to affect everything that you do. Relational conflict causes problems. This morning we're going to talk about relational conflict. And relational conflict can simply be defined, and this is not Webster, this is my definition. Relational conflict can simply be defined as when one or two people are wronged in the midst of relationship. You've got conflict when someone is wronged. And this morning, all of us have experienced relational conflict because we have not lived in a bubble. And if you've lived with other people, you've experienced conflict. Someone has wronged you, and you've probably wronged someone else. Well, this morning, are we going to let that rob us of the joy and the peace that God created us to have? Or are we going to find some way that we can attack it so that it does not rob us, but rather what we can do is we can display spiritual health and we can honor God at the exact same time. You see, the main issue is not really our joy and our peace, but the primary issue in relational conflict is our spiritual well-being and God's honor. You see, when somebody wrongs us and we just remain in a state of bitterness or malice, what that's releasing or making known Is our spiritual well being, that we're spiritually unhealthy. The other thing that's at stake in all of this is more important than anything God's honor. That when we enter into relational conflict and stay in it rather than following the command of Christ, God is dishonored. Why? Because then creation is not operating the way God created it to operate. We talked a little bit about this during the baptism, but that God is a relational God. God created all of us to be in relationship with him and with one another. Think back for a moment to Sunday school, and you think of the multiple times Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then second command, love your neighbor as yourself. Basically, it's what? Relationship. If you love someone, you're in relationship with them. And so we're fulfilling the desires of God when we're living in relationship with each other. Not only that, but in Genesis it tells us when it talks about the creation, that God created humanity in his image. Well, when we say the word God, we mean Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct beings, yet one God. We believe that they're in perfect harmony, relationship with one another. So God is in constant relationship. And if we were created to display the image of God, then we have to be in healthy relationship. Therefore, we have to understand how do we attack relational conflict? This morning, you're going to get hurt. Not today, but in the next week or in the next month. You're going to get hurt at some point. Or you're going to hurt someone else. And when you get hurt... The question is, do you allow that hurt to carry over to the rest of your life? You may say, no, I'm not going to do that. But you cannot isolate one hurt relationship. You can't isolate the problem to one thing. It begins to spread out and affect everything. This last week at our house, we had an interesting situation happen. We went, well, I won't say who, but someone went to the grocery store and bought one of those rotisserie chickens Came home with a rotisserie chicken, but the person who's normally responsible, normally right all the time, um, normally just all, all things good, well, this person wanted to be so kind to the other spouse that they started emptying the other groceries first and getting some things done before digging into food. Well, you got to keep the food warm. So, so I decided to put, I mean, the person decided to put, to put the chicken in the oven. The problem is, those rotisserie chickens come in plastic containers. Thing. <laughs> plastic container, and I mean, this is a new oven, too. Thing. New oven works well. So you put the plastic container in the oven, guess what's happening next? Black ash just coming out that little vent. Do you think I could control where that ash was going? It went everywhere. Thing. The, the oven is over here. The rack where we dry all the baby bottles is over here. Guess what's now got ash all over it? The baby bottles. Well, who's got to re-clean the baby bottles? You can't just say, ash, go right over here. You can't isolate ash. It goes everywhere. And then when it goes everywhere, what does it do? It smears. And then you take a little rag and you start to wipe it off and it gets on the rag. And it is a process to get clean. You cannot isolate the ash in one spot. It goes anywhere and everywhere. The same is true in our relational lives when there's conflict and hurt. When we are hurt, we can't isolate that hurt to that one relationship. What happens is we begin to take that hurt out on other people. Have you ever been in a situation where you just come up to talk to someone and they're really short with you? And you think to yourself, what did I do? They're not being short because of you. They're being short because of another relational situation. There's an old saying that hurt people hurt people. Therefore, we want to attack that hurt so that we don't extend the hurt to other people. So, we know we're going to be hurt. The question becomes, will we extend that hurt to others? I know that I've been hurt and I know that I will be hurt The question is, will I be one who hurts others as a result, or will I forgive as I have been forgiven? This morning we're really challenged with a message from Jesus. Jesus is meeting with Peter. Peter's got a question that all of us would have if we were talking to Jesus. Peter and Jesus have been talking about sin and uh, confrontation, the process of forgiveness. And so the obvious question when talking about forgiveness is what? How many times do I have to forgive them, God? If you've ever been in a situation where someone's wronged you, it gets old really quickly. And I think we've all had, at least in our mind, how many times do I got to put up with this? How many times do I have to forgive them? So God, Jesus responds to Peter and says, Peter, you need to forgive them until perfection and completion. Now if you look with me here in Matthew chapter 18, Verse 22, Jesus plays a little game with numbers here. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, he's basically saying to the time of perfection, wholeness, that idea of rest until there's rest. Not only that, but Peter, who is religious, Peter, who would be familiar with the Old Testament, is probably reminded of a story in the book of Genesis, If you think back to Genesis for a moment, there was Adam and Eve, the first humans that we're told about, had some kids. And like any kids, what happened? The kids don't get along and the kids have a little bit of a fight. Well, what happens in the midst of the fight? People want to give revenge. So there's a spot in the book of Genesis where it talks about revenge being given sevenfold. So there's this idea that, you know, pass the wrath, sevenfold. The revenge, sevenfold. Well, Jesus is completely turning it the other direction. He's saying here, forgive sevenfold. The world would say this, you seek revenge as many times as you need to until they're paid back. Jesus says this, you forgive as many times until you have to until there's perfect harmony. Jesus is in the business of laying out for us initiatives that go against the ways of our flesh and the ways of the world. And this initiative is forgiveness, extending it to other people. Jesus, as he lays out this idea that we need to forgive until completion, then gives us this story of a servant who's in debt. And if you get deep into this story, you could really get into some interesting details. The first interesting detail is how much debt the servant owes to his master. There's a variety of people that do the math on this, but at the end of the day, it says here, Verse 24, One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Nobody knows exactly how much that is and the correlation to our society. But the general agreement is, is it's years' worth of wages. Maybe tens of thousands of years, depending on how you figure the math. The point that Jesus is making in the story is there's a massive debt that cannot be repaid. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying like us as we stand before the throne of God. We've got a massive debt before God because of what we've done wrong and the things that we've left undone. But this massive debt is forgiven. The master says to the servant, hey, I'll have pity on you. It's gone. So now this servant, no debt, the servant goes out and what does the servant do? Find someone who's indebted to him and then what? Pay up. And then the king comes back and says, hey, do you remember what you received? You need to give the same thing. And then Jesus finishes with what I would contend may be one of the most difficult statements in all of Scripture. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. In other words, if you do not extend to your fellow human being, what God has extended to you. What God has extended is gone. Many of us grew up maybe praying the Lord's Prayer. Sometimes you get in the habit and you just pray it so fast. You just, the thy thou done. There's a clause in the middle of the Lord's Prayer that carries a lot of weight. Forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. In other words, God, I ask that you would forgive me, but I recognize God that I've got to extend the exact same thing onto other people. You can play with the words all you want. You can try and soften Jesus all you want, and we can get into this debate about grace and love and kindness. And at the end of the day, all I'm saying is this: Jesus gives the command. And there doesn't seem to be much wiggle room. Jesus wants us to give what we've been given. In society, we're used to giving something to get something. Here it's reversed. We're giving something because we got something. I don't think my grammar's right there. But we got it, we give it. It's the whole point of the parable. is look what you have from God. Now go out and give it to other people. We got it, and so we give it. Basically what Jesus is saying here is that forgiveness is an expected attribute for a follower of Christ because we are forgiven followers. We can never lose sight of the fact that our entrance into the kingdom of God begins with the forgiveness of our sin. The moment we lose sight of our own forgiveness, we begin to put ourselves on a pedestal above others. We cannot forget who we are. And who are we? We are forgiven followers. And now God is asking us to extend that same forgiveness to other people. Well, forgiveness is a a tough thing, especially when there's hurt involved. And sometimes it's deep hurt. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual. So I want to spend a few moments talking about forgiveness because it's something we all deal with. If you want to define forgiveness simply for a moment... I'm um, sorry, we're jumping ahead here to confrontation. We don't want to jump to the good stuff thing. Forgiveness is releasing a person from their due punishment. What you're doing when you're forgiving someone is you're saying, you no longer deserve the punishment that you are due. You're basically canceling their debt, like we saw in the story in Matthew chapter 18. So, in forgiveness, what you're doing is you're saying, you know what? I wanted bad stuff to happen but now I no longer want bad stuff to happen to you. Forgiveness is releasing that person from paying the penalty. But forgiveness, a couple of things we got to think. Forgiveness is not forgetting. When you forgive someone, it doesn't mean automatically that you just completely forgot the wrong. However, there's a big yet here with this one. Forgiveness is not forgetting, yet we're asked to treat other people as though we have forgotten the past wrongdoing. We read responsively responsibly this morning from Psalm 103. In Psalm 103, there's beautiful pearls of truths about God where it says God does not treat us according to our iniquities. God does not treat us according to our transgressions. So God is aware of our wrongdoing, but what is God doing? He's not treating us according to to that wrongdoing. When you forgive someone, it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to forget that hurt or that wrongdoing. Now God, it talks in the book of Psalm again, that He forgets as far as the east is from the west, but God has got some qualities and characteristics that we don't have. We can't forget. However, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can act as though we have forgotten the most dangerous thing that we can do in our relationships is begin to keep a scorecard. Keep a scorecard that we do good when someone does good to us. You know, I'm kind of a structured guy. I like things straightforward. I like things black and white. And so one of the things that I've been pushing for at home for a long time is a chore chart on the refrigerator thing. Now, chore chart in refrigerator, we get nice little stickers thing and put some rewards there or whatever. I've kind of always wanted one of those chore charts. But at the end of the day, the reason that I want the chore chart is so that I can match up and make sure we've got the same number of stickers in all of the columns. But that's the way most of us are, right? We live in a credit-debit world. We want to keep track of, of what others are doing and then we respond with good when they respond with good. Or when they respond with bad, then we can respond with bad. But, but we're called as followers of Christ to go a step above all of that fray and say, I'm going to extend what has been extended to me. I haven't forgotten what's been done, but I'm going to behave as though I have forgotten. So if you're dealing with this issue of, of trying to um, forget I would really encourage you this morning, actually one of the questions that came in through text was, um, seems like forgetting is really hard and it's becoming more difficult because I can't forget. I would encourage you to think of it this way, that maybe not put the energy in trying to forget, but put the energy in trying to pray blessings upon the person. So, so one method would be to do this. Say, you know what, I I can't forget it, but here's what I am going to do. I'm going to discipline myself to pray that God would bless this other person even when I don't feel like it. So even when I'm remembering, I'm going to say, God, I pray your blessing upon this other person right now. So if you're struggling with the forgetting, whenever the memory does come back, use that as a trigger for prayer for the other person. Because then you'd begin to live out the commands of Christ even when you don't feel like it. Forgiveness is releasing of a debt. It's not necessarily forgetting. Forgiveness does not guarantee a restored relationship. Just because I forgive someone from their penalty or their punishment does not mean that everything's going to be perfect again. If there's been physical harm or deep emotional or mental harm, the relationship's just not going to come back right away. And in some cases, the relationship may not come back because one party may not exhibit the fruit that goes along with repentance. So therefore, there's an element of wisdom here that we're releasing the person from the penalty. We're saying, I don't want bad stuff to happen to them for what they've done to me. But at the same time, we recognize that the relationship may take time to restore that trust. Trust isn't just something that appears just like that. You've got to see some fruit moving forward in order for you to trust again. So don't think that, oh, I've obeyed Christ, I've forgiven, that everything's going to be just perfect again. You've obeyed Christ, and you've started the process of reconciliation and restoration. Forgiveness also is not approving certain behavior. Some of us struggle with this idea of forgiveness because we're like, well, I don't want them to think they can get away with it again. Forgiveness in and of itself is an indictment on someone. When I say, I forgive you, I'm saying, hey, you've done something wrong. When God forgives us, he's not approving of certain behaviors. He's simply releasing us from the punishment that we deserve. And so by forgiving someone, you're not saying, hey, what you're doing is just fine. Now, some people say, well, we just continue to enable them. They keep doing the same behavior over and over. We've got to get to a point where we recognize we're not responsible for other people's behavior. All we can do is give unto others what God has given unto us. God has given us forgiveness and if somebody else tramples the forgiveness that we extend, there's nothing I can do. But I also have to remember this. There's been times that I've trampled on the forgiveness that God has extended to me. And I think everybody in this room could relate to that. God has forgiven you and you know that, but yet you've stumbled into the exact same wrongdoing. So we've trampled on God's forgiveness, but God did not turn his back on us. And so it's continually reflecting upon what God has done for us and sharing that with those who are around us. Forgiveness is releasing someone from the penalty that they owe us. It's not forgetting, it's not necessarily a restoration guaranteed, and it's not approving behavior. This conversation of forgiveness requires us to talk about maybe the most unpopular topic of the day. Another C word. The C word that we don't like in Minnesota and I think we also don't like here in South Dakota. Confrontation thing. How many of you wake up in the morning and say, ah, oh, I can't wait to get to the office and confront my fellow employee about the staples they stole from my desk yesterday. We don't like confrontation. Actually, most people run from confrontation. Confrontation. Yet because of the glorious truths in God's word, we recognize that confrontation is necessary. So because God's word says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we realize that we don't have all the answers right here and we need people to speak truth into us. Therefore, we need confrontation. And because God wants us to experience forgiveness, therefore, it requires us to go and confront someone. Now, after the first service, I got a nice little uh, tip from an HR representative at the first service. They said, we don't use the word confrontation at work anymore. We have honest conversations. Thing. <laughs> well, that's what confrontation is, right? It's an honest conversation. Here's the reality. Many of us don't have honest conversations. We simply let it sit, and it just builds up, and it begins to hurt others, that is, it affects other people in our lives. So I just wanted this morning take some thoughts from author Paul Tripp, who's a biblical counselor, and help us maybe get some ideas of how we can live in this idea of confrontation. The first is this. He says, don't use absolutes when confronting someone else. So if you're going to confront someone else about something that they're doing, you don't want to say to them, you always or you never. Because the moment you say always or never, where does their mind go? They're going to find that one or two times when they didn't do it and just lay that on the table. So absolutes are unhelpful because it puts the person on the defensive right away. When we confront someone, we want to express personal or observed hurt. We talked about this last week, that when we confront someone and we say, hey, you are a X or a Y, you're an addict or you're, you're a liar, it doesn't help to say to someone, hey, you're a liar. Because they get defensive right away. They don't see themselves as a liar. They see themselves as someone who's lied once in a while. So what you want to do in confrontation is say to someone, hey, when you, this is what happened to me when you lied with X and Y last time. Because you're just sharing how it affected you. You're not putting them on the defensive right away. Again, you're sharing observation from personal life of you or someone that you've seen involved in the situation. The other thing that you want to do is make clear and direct statements. We talked about this again last week. A lot of similarities here. Write down what you want to say before you say it. How many of you ever got in a confrontation and left and went, man, that wasn't emotional at all? Confrontation gets emotional. People get heated. So the last thing you want to do is have a rambling on confrontation because then you just get lost in the words. want to make clear and concise statements and it helps to really sit down and write them out in advance. The other item that uh, this is something that I had not thought about before but I found really helpful is that confrontation cannot be constant. So this is I think for two groups of people here this morning. One is for those of us that don't mind confrontation. I don't mind confrontation but those of us who don't mind confrontation have to be aware that we can't constantly confront because people then will be just turn into a position of defensive or people will just begin to isolate themselves. If they're under constant confrontation, they will simply begin to isolate and ignore. So this morning, if you've got a tendency to constantly confront, I'd encourage you to think about what are some things that you can begin to do that are positive in the other person's life that doesn't bring constant Confrontation. And then for those of us who are being confronted, and this one hits home. If confronted, does the shoe fit? I don't know about you, but I like to be right. And usually when someone comes up with something, my first thought goes to what? Defenses to prove that I was right in the midst of every confrontation, there's probably something that we can learn from the other person. Maybe the other person is overstating it a little bit. But you know what? Maybe God's still giving us a gift and revealing something to us. So we can simply ask the question, does the shoe fit at all? If I go in with that question in my mind, does the shoe fit, I'm no longer in the defensive posture the whole time, but I'm rather in a position of receiving something from someone else. Maybe there's an element of truth in what the person is saying. Confrontation is de-energizing. It takes energy out of you. However, the process leads to health and wholeness because then we begin to experience forgiveness and spiritual well-being. Without confrontation, things will just remain the same. The problem will not stay isolated. The problem will go everywhere and anywhere. The question is, are we willing to confront for the sake of Christ? What I mean by that is this. Not are we willing to confront so that we're right standing up for Jesus, but are we willing to confront for the sake of Christ so that the forgiveness of Christ can be experienced like we have experienced it? There's no easy formulas this morning. There's no 10 steps when you walk out for, this is what you do this next week when you are hurt. There's no pill that you can take that will just make you a forgiveness machine. It all comes back to one thing. It all comes back to this simple word, as. Forgive others as God has forgiven you. When you're struggling to forgive someone, where should our attention turn? It should not turn to our inner self saying, why can't I do better? Or it should not turn to the other person saying, oh, if they would just stop. Our attention should turn to our relationship with God. And we should remind ourselves what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And what has God done for us in Christ Jesus? God has done this for us in Christ Jesus, that while we were still sinners, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. He took the initiative. He did not wait for us to become friends, but we were still his enemies. We were still powerless when Christ died for us. When Christ was on the cross, he did not look at the crowd and say, come on everyone, you know this is wrong, what do you have to say now? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What God has done for us is He's forgiven a massive debt that we could never repay. Now, will we begin to take what God has done for us and do it unto others? If you want to examine your spiritual health this morning, I'd encourage you to do one thing. Don't look at the vertical for a moment, look at the horizontal. Your relationship with other people. Are you relating with other people the way in which God has related with you? Your relationships are a mirror to your spiritual health. I don't know how you've been hurt this morning. I don't know how you've been wronged. But I do know this. That God has taken the initiative with each of us when we wronged Him. And He has forgiven us in the blood of Jesus Christ. My prayer this morning is that we would not allow that relational conflict to rob us of joy and peace, but that we would attack relational conflict with forgiveness so that we can experience the joy and the peace that God has given to us. And above all, God would be honored. This next week, the question is pretty simple. Will I do unto others what God has done unto me? Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word this morning. God, right now I ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, direct our hearts and our minds that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you'd bring healing to us from past hurts. I pray this morning that you'd also give us supernatural power to extend what you have extended to us. God, this morning, I pray for anyone that's walking in the midst of relational conflict right now. God, I ask that you would give them boldness today to confront and forgive. God, I ask that today, you would give us a community of forgiveness here at King of Glory. Lord, we thank you for your kindness and the forgiveness that you've given unto us. We praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.